Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to take a look at a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 9. And this verse um, really will help us answer the question, who's crazy? Who among us is really crazy? You know, it's a common charge made against God's elect, especially in this day and age, for holding on to the idea of the likely end of the world coming, October 7th, 2015, for thinking um, there will be an end of the world, that there will be a resurrection. All these things really um, are involved with uh, people who say, you're loony, you're crazy, you're insane, you're out of your mind. Uh, these are a few things that uh, have been said uh, to me on our Twitter account, eBible Fellowship's Twitter account, since we began to do a little advertising there recently. And actually, we've been bombarded with these kinds of statements and um, implications from people that you are out of your mind. Now, it's interesting and significant that we're living at a time in the world's history when legalization of gay marriage has taken place. And you, if there was a Twitter account that someone opened about gay marriage, you would not find any of those kinds of accusations or charges made against people who are upholding gay marriage, or probably very few. And it really reflects the world's mindset that they assault uh, the idea of an end, of a resurrection day, as the Bible has plainly said all, all throughout, that there is an end. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18 says, For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off, speaking to the child of God. And the Bible says the world passes away and and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And and yet the very thought of it, the very idea of it is considered so ridiculous that the mental state of the individual who is bringing it up and, and actually thinks it could occur is questioned. And we're, we're going to look at that. And, and see from the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, who's crazy? And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that, that helps to answer that. But before we do that, I thought it'd be, uh, important for us to also see that this kind of charge is not, um, leveled only because we're saying uh, there's a date. You know, that's what some people 
they they like to say, well, that's the reason people are saying you're crazy because you're given a date. No, no, that's not the reason. The reason is that we believe and trust the Bible, that we look uh, to the Bible as truth, that we believe the word of God, we believe God's promises, and we're looking for God to fulfill them. And it's always been the the world's mindset that those who believe and trust the Bible are crazy. Starting, we could say, with, of course it goes back into the Old Testament, but everything really starts with Jesus Christ. For instance, let's go to John chapter 10. And uh, I, I was only going to look at this verse, but... After we look at this verse, I'd like to look at a few other verses so we can see how Christ was viewed in the uh, world of his time by the people that encountered him, what they said about him. And, of course, then what they say about us, uh, it, it all fits together because we're just um, messengers of God. We we carry the word. The word was made flesh. The word is Christ. And therefore, it, it it's uh, not surprising that the same attitude prevails with mankind from the days of the Lord Jesus Christ till now. And actually, ever since the fall of man into sin. In John chapter 10... Uh, it says in verse 19, There was a division, therefore again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So there, there was division amongst the the Jews, amongst the people. They heard Jesus' words, they saw his miracles, and yet it was spreading. He has a devil and is mad. He's crazy. He's a crazy guy. After all, he was very different from the religious leaders of his day, very different than the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was a man that sat down with publicans and sinners. He was a man whose disciples did not wash their hands or plucked ears of corn on the Sabbath. He was a man that healed people, dared to heal people on the Sabbath day. And uh, and uh, he was a man that, uh, let, let's see what else they thought in John 8. In John 8, Beginning in verse um, 51, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. See, they, it was a common charge against Jesus, you have a devil. And, and in John 7, 
the previous chapter, beginning in verse 19, it says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. And of course they were going about to kill him. They would soon arrest him and and seek to find some law he broke that they could kill him, but doing so by turning him over the, to the Roman authorities. So he spoke the truth. And yet they denied it and said, Thou hast a devil. Again and again and again. Thou hast a devil. Look at Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12, beginning in verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed, and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. And here Beelzebub, we can see from the context, is identified with Satan. He has Satan. That's what being called a devil meant also. Uh, he He's casting out devils by the prince of the devils. What an ugly charge against anyone. Against anyone. No wonder God says of people. He says in, in the little epistle of Jude, it says in verse 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And in verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. What they know naturally is brute beast. In those things, they corrupt themselves. They speak evil of uh, dignities and of those things they understand not. The wise understand, God says. They discern time and judgment. None of the wicked understand And because they do not understand, they will speak evil. And speak evil is what blaspheme means. Of course, as they were saying that, speaking evil of Jesus, the highest of dignities, he is Lord of lords and and King of kings. They, They were blaspheming. And yet, what was the charge against Jesus? Repeatedly, this charge was made, this man blasphemes. Look at Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew 9, it says in verse 2, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, 
Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And at that point they're saying it within themselves, but that charge would come to the surface at later points. This man blasphemeth. He he thinks he can forgive sins, and who can forgive sins but God? Of course, and it it was not true of Jesus Christ. It's why they were miserable counselors, physicians of no value, as Job's friends, because they did not understand what God was doing in sending the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God himself, who humbled himself and entered into the human race, and and because they lacked understanding, they spoke evil of dignities. They spoke evil of the Most High God. And really, it, it shows forth when we we read all the many statements of Jesus. Here, here are some of the things that were said about Jesus. He has a devil. He's mad. He's a blasphemer. That deceiver said, remember, when the Pharisees um, and the priests, the chief priests, went to Pilate to make the watch secure, that deceiver said, he was called the deceiver, he has Beelzebub, uh, he's a servant of the devil, and, and a Samaritan in John chapter 8, in John 8. In verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? You see how they they would quickly... Um, try to find anything they could. It didn't matter if it was true or not. It, it, it didn't matter that Jesus was a Jew of the tribe of Judah. Yet, there was mystery concerning, uh, his, his beginnings. Not really, because, um, God actually proclaimed his birth, but they wanted to be ignorant of such things and, and they clouded the issue, uh, Remember, Christ came from Nazareth and, um, and search and see, no prophet ariseth out of Galilee and those kinds of statements, even though he was born in Bethlehem, they intentionally tried to make it as though uh, he were not qualified. And God, of course, aided this because they were not his people, so God clouded the issue by having Jesus raised in Galilee, yet they outright lie here. Say we not well, thou art a Samaritan. The Samaritans were the people that were placed in the land of Israel once the the ten tribes in the north were conquered by the Assyrians. They imported uh, people from other conquered lands, and they lived amongst the Jews and became a mixed people in Samaria or Israel. And the Jews in the south of Judah despised them. 
They, they were, uh, lowly esteemed and they had no dealings with the Samaritans. So not only is he mad, he has a devil and anything good he does, he does through the prince of the devils. He cast out devils through Satan. And not only that, but he's a Samaritan. And whatever mud they could find. And it was very political, just like today, when when people try to uh, cast aspersions upon someone else. Well, that's how the world works, because the world has no concern for truth. It, the people of the world are not noble. They're not noble. God says in Berea they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they searched the scriptures to see if the things they were hearing were so. And, and that's what a person of noble character does. They, with integrity and honesty, investigate, they check things out. But those that are not noble, and of course, mankind is not a noble creature since the fall. When, when God says of the individual that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, he's not describing someone of noble character. And and that is the condition of man. Man loves the lie. He doesn't just like it. He loves the lie, prefers the lie, desires the lie over the truth. Jesus said here in leading up to this charge of being called a Samaritan and having a devil back in verse 45 of John 8. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Isn't that astounding? That says everything we could ever want to know about the condition of fallen sinful man. Because the reason that you don't believe, the reason that you're not trusting the things that I'm saying, Jesus stated, is because it's true. And and the implication is, if I were telling you lies, if I were truly a deceiver, deceiving you, then you would believe it. Then you would listen and respect and and isn't that what man does? And that's what the Jews did. They elevated the traditions of their fathers over the word of God. And traditions, on some points, might follow the word of God, but in many points do not. So they elevated the lie over the truth. It's what the church has done with its confessions and and creeds. And, and writings of renowned theologians that they uphold to such a high level. The high places of the churches. They elevate the writings of men above the word of God. And certainly it, it's what the world does. It, it elevates the uh, mind of the natural man. It, it elevates the scientist above the word of God. Oh, the scientist. He has uh, made discovery, and uh, as he has uh, analyzed 
and investigated the archaeology record or or as he has looked into um, fossils and and so forth. And he has made determination. The world has been here for millions of years. That was their first determination. Then those um, brilliant scientists discovered it was hundreds of millions of years. And yet from there, those brilliant minds went on to say it's been billions of years. But that doesn't matter if they were off a little bit once or twice or or by billions of years. They're, they're the scientists. They have gone to college and gotten a doctorate. And and so their doctor so and so and doctor so and so has ruled and says that the world is billions of years old and and here's how everything began with a big bang which they can't explain where the stuff came that that exploded but that's okay we're working on that and then there was evolution and we have evolved and and they got it all laid out. They don't know exactly what happened a hundred years ago, and they don't know what's going to happen next week with the weather, but they have it all laid out, all according to the minds of men. And, well, the Bible says differently. Well, let's, let's shove that relic, that ancient book over here. It is nothing but a preference, a prejudice, to believe the lie, to elevate and exalt and hold up the lie because we want the lie. And the reason is the truth is Christ. The truth is the word. The Bible is the truth. God is true and every man a liar. And mankind despises truth because they despise God. They hate wisdom. They uh, want the evil over the good. And they want the wrong over the right. It's the nature of man. Our nature is not good. And therefore, we go after what our nature is, which is evil. We follow the lie, naturally. And, and Jesus, since he is truth, he told man that. He didn't hide it from him. He didn't attempt to flatter him. He said, here's the reason. Here's the reason. Because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. And, you know, if I say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and and just spoke uh, all of these um, nice sounding things, you would believe me. And that's what we find. We find that kind of message today can fill stadiums. And the message of here's how you get saved takes steps one, two, and three. And then you're saved. Yes, that can place 50,000 people in a stadium. And and there's great joy and uh, just wonder that uh, so many thousands can get saved uh, by a dynamic preacher. And they believe the lie, want the lie. Now, now tell the same people in that stadium, look, the true salvation of God is he does the work. You can't get yourself saved. 
I don't care if you walk down that aisle a hundred times or a thousand. Not, not ever will walking down that aisle get you saved. Not ever will being dipped or immersed in some water get you saved. Not ever will making a decision for Christ get you saved. Salvation is of the Lord. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. And you better be careful because there could be a riot as people head for the exits to rush out of the stadium. No, they they don't believe the truth. They don't want the truth. They despise the truth. It's the nature of man. Well, we'll uh, go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, concerning Jesus and how he was viewed. Uh, there's actually many other verses we could go to. But in Matthew 10, it says in verse 24, this is a biblical principle that God lays down. And it has always been a good thing for the child of God to keep this in mind. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. We are the disciples of Christ. We are the servants of the Lord. Are we above our master? No, no, we know that. The the true child of God knows uh, who our master is, who our Lord is. It is God, the almighty, the omnipotent God, the everlasting father, the most high God, the creator, the one that is perfect in his being and uh, holy in every way. He is our master and our Lord. And we're not above him. We're dirty, rotten sinners. We're vile in, in ourselves. We have offended and transgressed the law of God. And we're the rebel. We're the one that has wrought a rebellion against the good king of the land and his good kingdom of heaven. And we deserve to die. That is what every child of God knows as we read the Bible, that we were subject to death because of our sins justly. And and yet God, this gracious, merciful, kind, good God, developed the salvation program whereby he stretched forth his hand and reached out to certain rebels, not all, but to certain ones that he chose, his elect, because he chose them, and he determined to pardon their sins, cleanse them from all iniquity, wash them, uh, clothe them with white robes, and and make them righteous through the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did this by dying for them at the foundation of the world and and paying the uh, awful penalty that the law demands. And more than that, he then entered into the world 
he so humbled himself, he emptied himself of all the the tremendous glory that belongs to him, and he became a man. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was obedient himself unto death, even the death of the cross. And along the way, he was despised and rejected of men. The the one who is truth was called a deceiver. The one who is God and was called Satan. The one who is, of course, of the soundest of minds was called or said to be mad. And he was rejected in every way imaginable by his own people and by his own creatures. That's our master and that's our Lord. And God says that uh, we're not above that. We're not above him. And, And then he goes on to say in verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. In other words, God is saying to us, to his followers, to the the children of God, look, I'm not asking you to do something that I myself have not done. I'm not asking you to do more than your master and Lord has done, the Lord Jesus Christ, but as, as he has done, that it is enough for the disciple to be as his master and the servant as his Lord. And then it goes on to say, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, And they did call the master of the house Beelzebub. Yes, man, the creature, the created thing, the piece of pottery called the master or the potter, the one that formed him, Beelzebub. Can you imagine the audacity, the pure arrogance, the foolish pride of a man that that is nothing more than a little tiny creature that that the almighty created yes he he created him in a high estate of being in the image and likeness of god yet he's still a creature he he's still a little tiny creature in comparison to the great god above and the little creature not only is just a little creature, but a little broken creature. He's a vessel of pottery that has been broken to shards, as God speaks of mankind uh, in two categories. There's vessels unto honor and to dishonor. And the sinner is a dishonoring vessel that is uh, nothing more than a broken pot that the potter has made and the potter will ultimately destroy. And yet, 
this little tiny finite uh, man of a day, as God says in Job, uh, speaking of the general population, people, the man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. The, the, the little insect-like creature, the, the tiny little thing that God created has rebelled against God and, and when faced confronted with the very person of God as the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in him, when man the creature encountered the Almighty, he called him Beelzebub. What does that say about the creature's mind? What does that say about the creature's heart we know? Desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. But what about his mind? What kind of a mind is at work within that creature, that that fallen sinful creature, that when he's faced with pure holiness and goodness, Jesus committed no sin. Jesus never said a wrong word. He never made a wrong action. He never did anything wrong or sinful at all. So it's not as though that Jesus could have prompted or or could have been the offense that someone would say that kind of thing about him. Normally, the charge was leveled against Jesus after he had done a good work of healing, after he had done a work of mercy, then, the, oh, he he does not cast out devils, but by the prince of the devils. And and the charge would be made against him. And it, it really shows forth that the mind of man has been affected. The mind of man has been tainted. It, it is not a mind at ease. It is not a sound mind that the sinner man is in possession of. If that is his evaluation of perfection, of God himself, he he looks at God and he says he's mad and has a devil. He looks at God and he says he's a deceiver, the one who only speaks the truth. You know, they also said of Jesus that he's a malefactor in uh, John 18 in verse 30. If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to you. And malefactor means evildoer. They looked at God and accused him of doing evil. Those who are evil themselves, who whose hearts gush forth iniquity, accused the innocent and the pure and holy God of evil. This is the nature of mankind. They do not know truth. They do not know goodness. They do not recognize perfection or holiness or righteousness. They they have things backwards. They have things upside down. They are not 
uh, ones who are in any position to make judgments. That's for sure. And no wonder God uh, points that out and, and commands judge not. Uh, it, it's not for man to judge. There's one judge and lawgiver, the righteous judge. Man is not able to evaluate spiritual things or moral matters. He's not the one who ought to determine such things as as gay marriage or abortion or uh, anything like that without going to the law of God, without uh, following God's statutes. Well, then man can make some correct decisions. And, and that historically is why there, there was just law established in our country and other countries of the world that followed the Bible. But when man says, I don't need the Bible anymore, I don't need the law of God, and he tries to do it on his own, it's madness. It is uh, nothing but madness because he has no ability There is nothing within him that grounds him to be able uh, to um, see the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. Well, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I've been turning there often lately to respond to people who have made that that charge, well, you're, you're a, a loony and crazy and out of your mind. I, I've been turning to Ecclesiastes 9. And it says in verse 3 in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil. That's true, isn't it? The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It's full of evil. It's not as though one part of it is good, a section is good. Oh, he has a good heart. No, not not unless God has taken out that old heart, that heart of stone, and given the, the heart transplant of a new heart and a new spirit, yeah, then a man may have a good heart. But if there's been no change, if a man has not become saved by the doings of God, then his heart is full of evil. It's why God said back in Genesis chapter 6, um, before bringing the flood, in, in uh, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. Wow. That that is, you know, um, when today they they like to say their business is 24-7 because they're always open. Well, that's what only evil continually is saying. For as long as that person is alive, from the moment of conception, as David pointed out in Psalm 51, I was conceived in sin. 
through birth. They are born speaking lies. Throughout the life of an individual, the thoughts of the imaginations of his heart, that what, whatever is coming forth in, from the heart to the mind, is only evil continually. Full of evil. Full of evil. It, it is not a good picture at all. And no wonder the people of the world want to get away from the Bible. They, they just want to get away from the Bible, uh, and because the Bible shines the light into their world, in, into their life, and God does not hold back. He, he does not water it down. He does not try and make it more appetizing for the listener or the reader. Uh, well, here, I want to tell you, you have a problem with your heart. Uh, you know how some preachers are? They, uh, they, they don't want to offend. They, they don't want to, uh, get people upset and, and disturb the congregation. And so they, yes, God says, full of evil, only evil continually, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. And and they might say, you know, uh, we got to watch our hearts a little bit. We we have to be careful uh, because we know we're sinners. And, and after touching on that point, they'll move on. Well, God doesn't do that. He doesn't hesitate to tell us. And that's what we see with Jesus speaking to the Jews in the Gospel of John, he told them directly, here's your condition, and here's your problem. You love the lie. You're of your father, the devil. And he was a liar from the beginning and the father of it. And and that's your nature. That's your nature, man. And And so men have despised the Bible. And, and wanted to get away from the Bible. And today, they think they've done it. And to a large degree, uh, it's been a success because of God's will. God's will in allowing the church to fall and to become a mockery. Well, they, they have associated the Bible with the church and therefore it's almost as if the Bible has fallen. But no. No, God's word is continuing, and the word of God now is judging the inhabitants of the earth, and God's people are participating in that process through the sharing of the word of God. In Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3, the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Madness is in their heart while they live, which would be their whole time on earth. The Bible says man's heart is evil and mad. Man is mad. Although the charge against Christ was uh, he has a devil and is mad. Why listen ye to him? The charge against the Apostle Paul 
in the book of Acts. Remember, Paul is used by God as a pattern of believers. So what is said of Paul is also, we could understand, to apply to all the believers, true believers, as Paul was um, turned over by the Jews to the authorities and and then he appealed unto Caesar. But but before that, he came before Festus, a Roman governor, and Agrippa, King Agrippa. And in this account in Acts 26, he begins to explain um, that really the things that have happened to him are because he has declared the resurrection of the dead. In verse 22 of Acts 26, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Notice he mentioned Christ rising from the dead, the resurrection. And then Festus interrupts in verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He couldn't help but uh, blurt that out. Because it, it seems so ridiculous. A man who has died has risen from the dead. Uh, what a foolish thing. What a ridiculous thing. And, and Festus was a Roman and therefore he's speaking really as a representative of Rome or the world as Rome typifies the world. And he is giving voice to the opinion of the world of the believer. The believer who trusts the Bible and believes Jesus rose from the dead and believes he was the first to rise from the dead and that God's people will follow and there will be a day of resurrection. And the Bible uh, says the day of resurrection is the end, the last day. Uh, the resurrection at the last day. And therefore, when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about the end of the world. You you can't talk about one without the other. And the reaction from Festus, thou art beside thyself. Uh, beside thyself is actually a translation of the Greek word translated as mad in verse 25 as the Apostle Paul responds, and and it goes on to say, but he said, I am not mad. No, I'm not crazy, Festus. I, I'm not insane. I'm not loony. I'm not out of my mind. Not at all. I am not mad, most noble Festus. And now, Paul was giving respect to Festus's position as governor. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. The words of truth and soberness. It goes on to say in verse 26, For the king 
knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Soberness, that's what the word of God is. And I I wanted to get more into this, but we're not going to have time. The account of the man with legion, and uh, he he was, um, for all intents and purposes, insane. He was insane because he had a legion of devils that possessed him, but nonetheless, he walked around naked, he cut himself with stones, he would cry night and day. Uh, the man was insane in the land of the Gadarenes. And then Christ healed him and cast out the legion of devils. Uh, we read in Luke chapter 8, again, we don't have time to read the whole account, but it says in verse 33 of Luke 8, Then went the devils out of the man. And, and that man is a good picture of mankind, unsaved mankind that is full of evil, as that man was full of devils, and the madness that lies in the heart of unsaved mankind, then went out, went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake, and were choked. And when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled, and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done, and came to Jesus, and found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Now, let's uh, read the description carefully of this man who was acting insanely, and he would have fit in very well in our world today. But now, he, the devils are cast out. They were departed. And then it says at the end of verse 35, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's what salvation is able to do or has done for all of God's elect. Every one of us had the same heart as everyone else. They're, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of our hearts were desperately wicked and deceitful. And yet God did a, a, a miracle work on um, the hearts of his elect people. He took out that heart of stone, that heart full of evil and madness, and put in a new heart. And and now, from that point, the child of God sits at the feet of Jesus. I'm, I'm really sorry we don't have time to get into each one of these statements, but look at Luke 10 and verse 39. Since it's only one verse, we'll go there. In Luke 10, verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary. That's Martha and her sister, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. To sit at the feet of Jesus uh, means that you're 
submitting yourself to the Word of God, or you're placing yourself under the hearing of the Word of God. And this man, right away, the first thing God says, once the devils have departed, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's hearing the Word of God. Literally, as Christ spoke, that would have been the Word of God. And and there he was, humble, beneath, we're, we're not above our Lord, beneath, sitting there at Jesus' feet, listening, listening, probably full of wonderment. What just happened? Oh, have I really been so crazy that I, I was naked and cutting myself with stones and and uh, crying out day and night. Oh, it, it was uh, such such affliction that that I had gone through. Just as the individual that God saves looks back on his life and says, "Did I really do all that drinking or or do those drugs and and the things I did while uh, while doing that and and the way I treated people and 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 we see the the insanity uh, we we see the way of the world that that we were involved in immersed in our former life the old man and he was a crazy old man and now though we're sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed because we have the righteousness of Christ in our right mind sanity truth and soberness and this translation of right mind it's only found twice here in a parallel account of uh, the demoniac in the gospel of luke uh, but other places the uh, word right mind is translated as soberly in uh, Romans chapter 12, for instance, it says in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, or to think in your right mind, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And it's also found, uh, the right mind, in First Peter chapter 4, and in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore in your right mind. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And what is it to be in your right mind? Number one, you'll sit at the feet of Jesus. And if we go back to Luke 8, um, notice that the man wants to be with Jesus in verse 38. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine house and show how great things God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city 
how great things Jesus had done unto him. Therefore, to be in one's right mind according to God, who is, of course, of utmost sound mind, to be in one's right mind, you'll be reading the Bible, you'll be at the feet of Jesus, you'll be clothed, of course, only an individual saved by the righteousness of Christ can be in their right mind, and you will desire to be with Jesus. He he desired to be with him. And you, you will be sent by Jesus, and there will be obedience to the command that sends you forth. You will uh, go forth publishing what Christ has done. And, and that fits exactly what we understand of a child of God, a true believer, that the true believer reads the Bible. It's not crazy to read the Bible. It's, it's actually an evidence of sanity. And the true believer will uh, take the message of the Bible and share it, publish it with others in their town or city or elsewhere. And that's an evidence of someone in their right mind. Well, who's crazy? Who's really crazy today? Is it the child of God that quietly takes out his Bible and reads and prays to God and hopes in God and is looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God as God has said in his word? Or is it man, man whose heart is full of evil and madness and and we don't have time nor do we have to go into uh, a big discussion of all the mad things that are going on in the world today and have always been going on to the world, but especially more so today as God has given man up to sin to a large degree. And, of course, the answer that the Bible gives when that question is asked, who's crazy? Well, it's not the one that Christ has saved. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.